Oi, we need to talk about politics. <laughs> there you go, you find the groove now. Hello, welcome to Hung episode one, recording from WeWork in Hackney. Um, before we get started, uh, just a, a few words about Hung and why we are doing this podcast. So Hung is a podcast two years in the making. It's um, it's spawned from a WhatsApp group, uh, myself and, and the guys here and, and a few others who I'll introduce in a bit, uh, set up just before the 2015 election to give us a forum to discuss something we were all becoming increasingly interested in and that's politics. It's taken a while to get here, but we've spoken about it lots. It felt like the natural next step for this group. So, so we're all excited to be here and, and starting this. I guess I just want to run through a couple of the aspirations for this podcast, and they're twofold. Firstly, and a selfish one, is, is to give us a forum to continue to explore, debate and learn about politics, but this time in a way that pushes us a little outside of our comfort zone. Politics is super interesting and it's really important to talk about and, and talk about it with your friends and your family and to have a laugh and, and, and to really get stuck into it. But I think it's safe to say we can all get caught in our comfort zone a bit. So hopefully this will push us outside of that, make us ask tough questions, continue to learn, keep engaged, um, but do, do so in a way that helps us grow. Um, secondly, and this is a, re a really big and, and sort of nice aspiration for us and, and, and Hung is for this podcast to become a gateway for those that struggle with the same type of challenges and, and the same things that come with learning about politics that we struggle with now. Um, politics requires, you know, asking questions, debating, uh, talking about things, and it can all seem quite overwhelming. It can be scary to think you're going to be wrong. It can be scary to think you're going to sound stupid. And we thought there wasn't really a podcast out there that that delivered on that, 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 that kind of showed that people can ask questions that seem silly, they can struggle with issues, they can debate them, they can laugh about it. So hopefully we take on a bit of that burden and, and people can enjoy politics through us and it will help them get engaged themselves. So an introduction of the people around the table. My name's Robbie George. Um, to my left, Matt Horrocks, say hello, Matt. Hello. Opposite me, Dan Brown, say hello, Dan. <laughs> Hi, guys. And to my right, Jason Ford, say hello, Jason. Hello, Jason. <laughs> this, um, <laughs> Yeah, he's done it again. This this podcast is is not just going to be us four. There are others in in the WhatsApp group that I mentioned before. So hopefully the, the people on it will change each week. Um, so we look forward to that. I think we'll dive straight into episode one, which is going to be all about the general election 2017 happening on June the 8th. It's um, a snap election uh, called at the end of April. But I think what's interesting is if you compare it to 2015 and where we as a group have come in terms of our understanding of politics, our understanding of the election. What I think is an interesting opening question or an opening topic before we dive into the individual points is, personally, how much more have we learned? What have we enjoyed about it? What about this election have we, have we been able to engage more with because we understand it? I guess putting that out to the group. All eyes are on Jason. <laughs> 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 one thing I did want to talk about first, one well, I'm going to talk about, just ask us. Obviously, the name Hung we picked. Yeah. A Hung Parliament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to go there? Yeah. No, no, I just, I was wondering, why is it called a Hung Parliament? Oh. Yeah, I literally have no idea. Yeah. But it's. You also <laughs> just have an answer, Robbie. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was just in my mind. I thought we'll kick off with something a bit. That's not your job. Well, no, no, no. I think it's. It's. 
I don't actually know why it's called a hung parliament. Yeah. But it's obviously where it's there's not a majority don't. of MPs from any one party. And so what, what I think is nice about this podcast is it's not a majority of one view, you know? It's like a coalition of people coming yeah. together. So. Uh, yeah. Mate, in terms of stuff we've learned over the past couple of years, I mean, we've gone from just chatting about Ed Miliband eating a bacon sandwich, um, you know. Yeah, that's basically all we knew. Yeah, it was limited. And I think we kind of, we knew that we should know more, but we didn't. And then, but we still rated Ed, top bloke. But um, <laughs> since then, I think I now at least, when I look to sort of consume stuff to do with politics, I am actually looking for information on what it's going to do to the country, what it's going to do to me, the impact it's actually going to have on people. I think that's just a bit of a shift change in my mindset in that before when I was looking to consume information, I was just looking for like the headline and yeah. now I'm actually looking for like the impact it's going to have. And I think once once I sort of open my mind up to that possibility, not possibility, but sort of given my thinking, it's then meant that the stuff that I can take on and talk about is much deeper and kind of hopefully also means that when I'm going to vote, I'm doing it with a more sort of educated view. Yeah, you're not honest. just taking the headlines at face value and kind of running with those, you actually explore the, the, the headline more and what that means. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it gave me a better like, overall gauge of the political spectrum. Yeah. Things like, what does left to right mean? Yeah, what, what those things yeah. I would have said, you know, three years ago, what do you mean by right, right wing? Like, yeah. Um, so I think in that sense, like I've gained more perspective on media and people and policies and parties, that kind of stuff. And just being able to like assess them from there and actually then start to dig into what those mean to like people yeah. and I actually I actually remember Googling um, like the political spectrum maybe no more than two years ago. I, I really didn't know much about it at all. Um, so it's been it's been a crazy two years for me because I've gone from basically not having like the foggiest idea yeah. um, to to still not having <laughs> the foggiest <laughs> idea, but like at least yeah, having a bearing on like you know what you know what what people stand for and, and what certain things mean. Um, so yeah, I think it's like a, it's a genuine minefield out there, and I like we haven't actually chatted about this much, but I genuinely think there should be more education on politics uh, for younger age, like in schools. In school, I like at a practical level, like what does left and right mean. What maybe you know, we can get into who, that. who are the paper, you know, and stuff like that. But I think that's kind of that then leads us to points like today where we're talking about the election and you're speaking to people out there in the world, people you work with, friends, family, whatever it may be. And they're not as kind of they're not as aware of some of the information they should be purely because they don't go out and search for it. Mm. So all they see is the headlines and they've never been educated on it, like maybe in school or stuff like that. So then they're they just don't have that knowledge to make necessarily as an informed a decision as you maybe could do for yeah. I, I think this election is more emotionally charged for me. And I'm not sure whether it's because I know more and I'm more engaged. So therefore, in previous ones, I would kind of just look at the news, look at the headlines and sort of accept that. And then I wouldn't feel so kind of stressed about it. Whereas now I feel way more stressed this election than I did before. And I, I've noticed it in the WhatsApp group as well how pumped people are getting about this yeah. one compared to 2015. I think just because when you understand it more or you buy into a party because you really understand the depths of the, that party yeah. or what they're trying to do or what they're trying to avoid, yeah. that's been the big shift change for me in 2017. Well, I think it's become a massively a two-horse race now as well compared to previously when you had, like, obviously coming from the coalition, um, you had Tories who were slightly, slightly centre-right 
and they were really considering themselves centre left. Now yeah. just completely slipped from the middle. Yeah. And I think it is a case of like they've both got policies that any normal human can get on board with. Like you can back them and say, that sounds like a good idea, that'll probably work. That sounds like a good idea, that'll probably work. So it comes down to what do you want? And that's when it becomes a bit more emotional. I think that's you why back back then. No, now I think, you know, yeah. now, because I think that's the thing, it's been so split, and now it's just like, it's like, which one do you go with? And now suddenly, so much uh, emphasis has been put on the characters of the two leaders, yeah. Hayden and Corbyn. Yeah. And I think that's playing a massive part. Well, Jace, it's, it's interesting that you bring up Corbyn, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to throw out there to start with is Corbynism, the kind of Corbyn hype, yeah. the Corbyn hype train, yeah. yeah. Is it real? Is, there, is it really a two-horse race? Because we all can think back to 2015 and there was the prediction that it would be another hung parliament. How many seats were UKIP going to get? How many seats were the Tories going to get? How many seats were Labour going to get? Would, would the Lib Dems hold on to their 56 seats or not? Whereas now, is it really a two-horse race? Is Corbyn at 35% in the polls? And are Labour going to really do anything? Or is it another Ed Miliband-style hype train of 2015 when everyone like Twitter was blowing up everyone was like there's going to be another coalition and then the Tories win a majority I think like a month ago no no more than a month ago and you it was let's be honest it was a one horse race it wasn't even a race they'd already won yeah. well that's why she called the election yeah and that, exactly and it was an arrogant decision on her part but you know a, a month ago that was Tories <laughs> had it locked down <laughs> so they they had to do a lot wrong Labour have to do a lot right to even get to where we are now. And I think that has, that has happened. And we are in a point where it is a two-horse race. They're still ahead. Let's not, you know, yeah, let's not actually, pretend like that's not the case. Because we are you know, they're, wrapped up in this They're board. still ahead. But yeah. we're behind, is it? No, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think with the, with the, Corbyn, uh, the Corbyn hype train, I think it's different. I think it's different to the Ed Miliband hype train because the Ed Miliband hype, was grounded in him as just being quite a nice bloke. It was on Twitter, you know, you had the mini fandom and all that sort of stuff. And it was funny and it was nice. And, you know, he genuinely seemed like a, a sort of a good guy. But his policies weren't being put front and centre. They The hype wasn't around the policy. Whereas with Labour, if you actually look... Wouldn't you say yeah. the hype's around Corbyn as a man? No. I think the hype has happened because... Well, I think it's twofold. I think firstly you had the hype around Corbyn as potential Labour leader within the Labour Party, within that kind of the members of Labour, which happened twice in those mm -hmm. two votes where you won by record number of votes twice in a row. Yeah. But then you have a lot of people who are actually quite against Corbyn as a man. Mm -hmm. But then since the Labour manifesto came out, I think there's then been a change, you know, the second part of this Corbyn hype train. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how we end up calling it Corbyn well, hype train. But train I mean, you look at the second part of it, and that's, that's stemmed from... Labour's policies, it stemmed from a manifesto, which is for the many and not the few and yeah, whatever yeah, that yeah. is. Um, but it's, it's policies that are for the betterment of the country and have actually got people excited. It's quite a bit of hope. I think that has then stemmed into um, a sort of train or hype around Labour, which has then had a knock-on effect on Corbyn because now people are looking at Corbyn and saying, actually, if he's the guy who's pushing these policies, maybe he's the guy to lead the country. It's um, unless someone else wants to jump in, I was just going to add quickly. I think Michael Foote in 1983, um, I saw a really interesting tweet from a journalist I can't remember the name of now, which is annoying, but with a picture of Michael Foote in front of a rally of thousands of people, 
thousands of people like screaming, waving their hands, everyone pumped. And he was making a move parallel to now. And just, just quick one. Yeah. Who's Michael Foot? Yeah. Michael Foot was in the nature of pun. Also, also in the nature of like. Michael Foot was elected Labour leader in I think seventy eight or seventy nine. Um, Matt, our producer, can double check that. Um, and uh, what's it called? Michael Foot. Michael Foot. Michael Foot. Wait, he was elected um, as he was elected. No, he was elected as Labour leader, leader. His middle yes. name is Macintosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got serious Barnet, hasn't he? He actually looks like Corbyn in a way. Like he's got yeah, a bit yeah. of Corbyn vibe around. Yeah, him. yeah. He was in front of rallies of thousands of people, but he got wiped out, I believe, in the eighty three election. I think the Labour Party got pretty slammed. And what the the reason why I say that is because I think Corbyn is the master at invigorating his supporters and his base. If you're pro-Corbyn, you'll get out to that rally. If you're pro-Labour, you'll get out there. But the, the way that the election is won with the silent majority, the centre ground, the people that don't get into politics apart from during a, a, a election time, I don't know whether that's having an effect on them. I think, you know, if, if you were to break it down in, into a percentage and say of 100% of the people that were going to vote, if all of the 15 to 20 to 25 percent that loved Corbyn turned out at the rallies, it would look like a movement, like a really big one. But is it is that the case or not? Just quickly on that, I think 1983, different time. You go to a rally, you see the rally there. If you don't, you'd probably barely see it. I mean, you might see a bit on the news. Right. Nowadays, with the access to information people have, mm. when Corbyn does a rally in Leamington Spa, which was, a bit, I believe, it's quite a conservative area, and thousands of people to support him and he's carrying the speaker, you know, that meme that's come around with him holding the speaker. That then gets shared across, you know, yeah. news channels, across this always on type media. That then has a knock-on effect. That's a quality meme though. Like. Yeah. <laughs> while, 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 people aren't, um, while people aren't there, they're not the rallies themselves, if you see a guy invigorating crowds of people with a message that can resonate with you, which is what Labour's message, you know, is doing, then I think that, that does have a positive effect and I think that's why it's different to 1983 because while the the actual actions might be the same. The impact they have is is far more superior in today's world. Yeah, I want to talk about what you were saying about is the Corbyn hype any different to the Miliband hype? Um, I think it maybe isn't, but I think the tone of politics at the moment and the tone of people is um, is different. I think um, <clears throat> there's been a few cases recently, obviously huge events of. Politicians who aren't an ordinary type of politician um, coming into power because people actually just want something different. Yeah. They're kind of, they're, they're looking at their kind of their options, if you like, and they see these like standard politicians who have this history, i.e. Hillary Clinton, i.e. Theresa May, yeah, <coughs> i.e. Le Pen, all these kind of yeah. people, and they're kind of thinking, do we want that? Is that like carrying on the way we're going? The way we're going so far hasn't been great necessarily. So they're just going for what's different. Like they break, they're, they're going for people that are breaking away from what's normal. So Trump, not not a normal yeah, politician yeah. in any stretch. Um, Macron, yeah, um, broke away from a party, right? Yeah, he was, well, he only founded his party like last year. Or something. Yeah, exactly. So he, he, yeah. But he was he was part of like the opposition, right? Is that, and then he not quite the opposition. Well, he was like he was finance minister or something yeah. for Sarkozy yeah. at one point or another. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he, I've heard this. That's not true. true. <laughs> that he broke away from that Sarkozy party, and everyone liked that. Um, I think the other example, oh, no, and now the example we have now is Corbyn it doesn't look like a normal politician. He doesn't have these, like, 
he's got a good history of like standing up against. He's been a politician his whole life. Yeah, no, he has, but he's always been like. So he's been on the fringes, yeah. He's a hippie. I know what you mean. I think I think the reason why. So I've recently come round to Corbyn. Yeah. I wasn't the biggest fan for for quite a long time, but. I think I've actually, in recent weeks, managed to detach myself from that very idea. Like, so that, that idea being what a leader should look like, in my mind, which may be what I've just been exposed to growing up. Like, you know, up together, sort of visually, you know, looking very smart and... Um, saying keywords. So, yeah, I don't know, yeah, kind of saying Strong. all the things... You, you know, having quite a powerful presence um, and saying all the sorts of things you might expect to hear. Corbyn has come along, he's just a very different character. And it, it actually has taken me a little while to, to maybe sort of adjust to that. But now I've, I think I've managed to break down that stereotype. Um, and, and yeah, I think, it's, I think it's definitely an interesting time for Corbyn in that sense. I think, I think he's always been a very eloquent speaker in the sense, the stuff he says is really deep and meaningful, but not everyone can attach themselves to it because like a lot to take yes. in. Sometimes he sort of yeah. gets quite deep, and I think, I mean, th- this is my opinion, but I think the the Labour manifesto launch when he spoke, yeah, he spoke very well. I think, yeah. I think people will look back at that if if something was to happen yeah. in this election that shocks people. I think people will look back at that and be like, that could have been the changing point in Corbyn when he went from the guy that the, the scrawny, sort of raggedy hippie that people yeah. kind of know him as, as to the guy who's like, I'm like, I'm bringing down the establishment. And, you see him now as well. He's got a fresh trim. Yeah, he's, he's got, got a fresh yeah. suit on. He looked good on he's, uh, he's Andrew Neil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. change yeah. the game. They've just tweaked it at the last minute, and yeah. maybe that's a. He looks like he had a tan, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't trust because Sunbeds. that guy doesn't go on holiday. Yeah, he's definitely been on Sunday. I was going to say it's a caveat, or to, to do a massive caveat to this, which is the fact that the manifesto has launched since the last elections. So those elections being the local ones. Um, what was that three or four weeks ago? Yeah. yeah. The Labour Party did get trounced in that. Yeah. And that is an election. That's where people go to the, the booth and they vote. The people that aren't on Twitter all the time. The people that aren't at rallies all the time. And Labour got kicked about. Didn't they, I thought they, as much as they didn't do well, I didn't think that anybody really came out of it well. As in, UKIP obviously got annihilated. Labour sort of Tories held, well. held some of their key well. seats. But I thought Tories just did okay, but not as well as everybody thought. Well, they basically they gobbled up all the UKIP councillors or whatever. And, yeah. and, and those local elections, man, they're confusing. Like, even I, I don't really, I don't really I think, get what the hell... No, exactly. Like, we couldn't vote for Certain it. mayors and... Yeah, yeah the mayors, I guess. Like, that's yeah. quite sort of clear. You're, like, you're voting for a mayor. Also, Labour on the mayor front got, what, two and, out of the three? Andy Burnham and... So, like, you know, John Lewis got the... Yeah, the Birmingham one. Yeah, they vote for the uh, Tories. That makes sense because you're from there, by the way. Yeah, I am from Birmingham. Yeah, I think like you know, you've now got Labour mayors in what two or three of the key cities, which you know that's got to mean something. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's the UKIP point. So, so to kind of talk about this election now again, I think one big thing, one reason why I'm a bit hesitant to, to shout about Corbyn mania or, or if Corbyn's going to do anything, or sorry, the Labour Party really, is I do believe that that UKIP collapse and the gobbling up of UKIP voters to the Conservative Party may even outweigh any gains that the Labour Party may make from left of centre Lib Dems, Green Party voters. I think that's just changed everything. I think it's just changed everything. And I don't see how in constituencies, bear in mind that 
UKIP have, so UKIP fielded around 600 uh, candidates in 2015 out of the possible 636 seats. This year they're fielding 300 and whatever. That is insane. That's, that, and that's strategic. That's strategic. So what they basically they're said... That, they're, they're, they're doing that... Um, do you think the two parties have communicated? I don't know. Well, what UKIP and Paul Nuttall have said is that they are not going to stand in the way of pro-Brexit Conservative Fine. MPs. Yeah. But who knows how much is behind... I also I don't, I don't necessarily think it's an agreement. I think that you could know. You could be weird because they're like they're the party with the most influence but the least actual standing yeah. in Parliament. And yet, like Paul Nuttall's having a stinker, isn't he? Like everything he does just seems to get absolutely caned down. He's like he's not got the the panache no, no of Farage, has he? He's, uh, he's not Farage. No. No. I think um, for the record, it's probably worth just quickly breaking down this idea because I think it is quite interesting how the right. Um, Sort of doing this with with UKIP kind of standing down some yeah. constituencies and, and how the left aren't yes. kind of working not not you know not that they're working together but they're not managing to find any kind of common ground on issues and I just, I just think for this election specifically that could be a, a big yeah well stuff about um, Lib Dems they're like kind of they're going after Labour voters and there's a lot of people saying yeah. that they shouldn't be attacking Labour they should be attacking the Conservatives because. They're just going to screw themselves over on that side of the fence because they're going to spread it to the left. Yeah, they're just butchering each other's votes, whether or not each other's. But you know, in actual fact, they should be going after the Tory voters who are on the fringes and could move. There has been talk of a progressive alliance. I think the Green Party have pushed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Basically, because the Green Party don't ever get anything, so they're basically saying. So I, I think the Green Party should do what UKIP have done. I think UKIP have basically said by not standing in half the seats in some constituencies they. They were getting 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 6, votes. If you take all of those votes and you put them on the Conservative candidate, that's huge. Do you think they go there? Do you think they just... Not 100% of A lot of you votes. Do you mean Labour? No, 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 to the Conservatives. You could go to Tories. Oh, sorry, so yeah. you, but you're saying that if Green dropped out, yes, those votes could go to Labour. So if the Green Party came out and said, we are only fielding 100 um, candidates in... Obviously, they always win Brighton. Or they, and then in London, they tend to do quite well. But if they, there's other constituencies. I thought it. they were doing that. I thought I'd actually seen something. I don't know if this is 100% true or not. I, I, I genuinely thought I'd seen that the Greens had decided not to fill, not in as many places as UKIP might be. But I thought they were saying that we know we're not going to get certain places, so we'll happily stand down for. Interesting. I, I thought, I think I've seen oh, that. I saw something about how Labour needs to stop campaigning so hard in Brighton. That's for sure. Yeah. So would, would I be right in saying that? But that would make, I think Brighton's <laughs> a Green stronghold. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But it, I, just, I just caught something about. Um, Labour were still campaigning quite hard there, and it's like strategically perhaps not a seat that they should be going for. With yeah, you know, in the terms of like, so you, you know, you think if Green stepped down, Labour and Lib Dems would take on some of those votes. With um, UKIP them stepping down, they might get some of the um, Conservative votes. Sorry, other way around, Conservatives might get some of the UKIP votes. I would like to see from UKIP voters. I just I don't know with you know their mindset, but. You're, you'd vote for UKIP for a very kind of specific few reasons, right? You know, immigration, that sort of slight... Allegedly. Slight, slight yeah, racist yeah. kind of vibe going on with the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then with <laughs> with Conservatives, do they tick the necessary boxes for those UKIP members to just automatically go to the Tories? I, I don't know whether they actually do. I think we called up... Like, I just wanted to, yeah, just jump back to that point. Um, so the Green Party... Uh, have indeed pulled out of crucial general election seat. Seat. 
Well, there's there's one seat, I guess. Okay. Um, so Green Party members in Ealing Central and Acton, where the party previously won uh, just under 2,000 votes in the 2015 election, uh, voted not to field a candidate there last week. Um, yeah, that makes so, sense. So yeah. I think there's an interesting thing going on with, because you were saying like people who vote UKIP are a particular type of person. Yeah, that's, that's an out there. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's, that's, that's that. We, we, to, let's in, not in, in the So it's fair on. enough to say that, yes, they're pro-independence, because that's literally yeah. what the line yeah. is. Yeah. And I think what they stand for is they stand for taking care of the people within Britain who are British. That's kind mm. of like a priority. Yeah, they want to scrap say, say that's a, that's foreign a, aid, don't they? Yeah, they, they, that, I mean, that's one of UKIP's policies. But I'm thinking mm. with UKIP kind of stand, standing down to, to an extent, plus uh, Nuttall not doing a good a job as Farage was doing, I wonder if now, when they look at the manifestos and they sort of, they look at Labour and they look at the Tories, they've got UK independence, they've got it, yeah. it's mm. happening. Mm. Um, this is what I was trying to get. Okay, but yeah, so I wonder now, like, okay, so what do they want? Yeah. Do they want, you know, huge corporations to carry on the way that they're going and for food banks to increase in size and like capacity and people, they, they reckon that what, 50% of food banks is now being, are now being used by people actually in, in employment. Yeah. Which is <clears throat> ridiculous. There's there's a massive increase in zero hour contracts. One thing that Jeremy Corbyn's pledged to get rid of completely. And I wonder if people look at that thinking, right, okay, well now that we've kind of solved the immigration issue, which which the left were kind of very wavy on in the first place, especially Labour were kind of like, you know, we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. We don't really know. But now they've got that, are they going to push for like, well now now we want to make the UK better. Well, now think we've got the UK better. away from Europe. We don't have all these restrictions that they, they believe that they had. Mm. They think. Well, now we've got full control. We want to let someone who actually we used to vote for back in the day, who looked after working class people, let them take control. People better NHS, better care for the elderly. Yeah. You know, it's just an interesting thing, right? Because mm. you know, you look at the Tories and what they're pushing, or what is being pushed in the, the media from the Tories, and it's fox hunting. It's you know the, the whole mess around elderly care mm. about capping it and then the bigger U turn on it. Like it's not a clear message from the Tories on what they're actually going to do that's going to benefit people. No. And so if I'm a UK voter, which I'm clearly not, um, I'm, <laughs> really? yeah. I'm thinking, well, what are they doing for me that actually when Labour is saying they're going to do this? And it's only if I'm a diehard, get all the foreigners out of the country type UKIP voter that I would continue to vote for UKIP. But I don't see how the Tories are necessarily offering anything above and beyond and even if you're that person, to those people. Even if you're that person, and UKIP are out of your constituency, then you don't have the choice to go for that, ban the burqa, get rid of all yeah. the Muslims kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> that, that is a vibe we don't align with. Yeah, 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 yeah that, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you want that vibe and the UKIP constituency, sorry, the UKIP uh, member drops out of your constituency, then who do you go? Yeah. Well, yeah, it is I interesting. interesting. I think, so I, I, I think to you, you saying that, um, Robbie saying that Tories might gobble up those votes, I think, in a sort of honest view, maybe, probably, but I do retain a bit of hope that enough people hear the right messages and it might just change that. And it, I think it's down to like people speaking to parents, people speaking to family, to friends, and spreading the right messages. Yeah, exactly. And don't just post stuff on Twitter, don't just post stuff on Facebook, go and speak to people. That is how you get out the vote, is to yeah. like all the studies and all the specialists and, and, and the experts in politics have said for years that. It is one-on-one -on -one conversations with friends and family, yeah. with your, your, your neighbours is what encourages people to, to vote a certain way and to get out on June, June the 8th and to vote. I just want to pivot slightly. 
I think one thing that we've spoken about as a group, which I've always found quite interesting, and I think is a big topic at this election, a lot of Corbyn, I know we're quite Corbyn heavy at the moment, but a, a lot of Corbyn's critics within the Labour Party, within the centre of the Labour Party, the centre-right and the centre-left, have said that he's an idealist. And they've said that he has um, abandoned that kind of age-old principle that you must win the centre in order to win a general election. We have just spoken about, is Corbyn riding a wave based on his idealist positions and, and, and his position as a open socialist on the left of the spectrum. So what is your belief? Because my belief personally is that you have to win. You have to win to make any changes. If you want to get into a government and be able to enforce the law changes and the changes that you think are going to make society a better place, you need to win the general election. However, in order to do that, I think you need to occupy the centre ground. Corbyn's not doing that disgusting. The <laughs> <laughs> centre don't win at the moment, though, does it? Well, well, like, well just well, generally, like, like across, across the world in the well, last in, in France. Yeah. Yeah, the first centre one. Mm. It's weird. That was different though, wasn't it? Most what people... Because the, Italian, uh, the, the only choice... The only choice was a uh, heavy right or centre. So it almost became left. The centre almost became left in a way because it was the only choice they had. Yeah, against the head. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I totally take your point about you've got to win to make a change. But what I think is quite interesting about Labour at the moment or about politics at the moment is there is almost one party doing the politics and one party just saying, you know what, if we do the politics, we'll lose, because they will. If we just do what we actually believe in, what genuinely we think is right for the country, which I think is quite a rare bit in politics, I think maybe we've just got a chance. And so, yeah, maybe, you know, Corbyn or Labour are a bit idealistic, you know, kind of socialist approach. But to be honest, if they don't have that, they don't win. They just, they can't at the moment. I think that message, that idealistic view... Why, why, why shouldn't we as a country be idealistic? I don't understand this, this Which is resistance you agree with, with the ideals. I take that point. If you disagree, that's fine. Yeah. But if you do agree, which I think a lot of people do with the, you know, a better NHS, care for the elderly, all those sorts of points, I think why shouldn't we aim for that? Because this, this narrative that the Tories have spun for years about we've got no money left, blah, 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 blah. You know, in the, uh, I think it was after the Second World War when we built um, the National Health Service, when we built the Postal Service, when we built the Railway Service and all that sort of stuff, that was then stripped away by Thatcher and sold off. But in that time off the back of the World War, we were actually skint. We actually had no money, yet the investment in the economy, the investment in those things, led us to a better future, led us to a more kind of like economic prosperity. Why can't that happen again if we apparently we have no money? I don't know. I'm sort of for hope. Um, no, I was just going to chime in. There, there was a, a really nice quote that actually popped in the WhatsApp group yesterday from um, a, an article in The Guardian by um, George Monbiot, who I wasn't familiar with before reading this piece, but essentially said, the choice today is between brutal efficiency in pursuit of a disastrous agenda um, and gentle inefficiency in pursuit of a better world. Just, yeah, that's just so biased though, isn't it? So you know, gentle okay. efficiency. In okay, yeah, and this this guy is obviously he, he says he, he knows which he favours. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's a nice quote. Yeah, you I, could I, argue, for instance, I, a big thing that Labour put forward is to scrap tuition fees. Now, I personally don't think that's smart, or I think that's a realistic position for higher education. 
in the world that we live in now. I think that... You can ask what, why don't you think it's so? Because I think that there is an element of competition at that level of education, which I think is good. I think it's good in order to allow universities to specialise. I think it's good to attract and retain the best professors and the best teachers. I think that if you deliver free education at scale, I, I don't know whether it would possibly devalue the quality of that education. I mean, people have come out, and I, I, it's annoying, I can't think of who they are now, but people who have come out against it as well have said that universities can't cope. They can't cope with the numbers of people that want to study and in order to retain the quality of the education that they can provide. And I think quality of education is what is, is, what is important. I agree. I think, and I think professors and teachers um, should be paid more. I, I know that there's a lot of uh, instances where lecturers, because they're kind of semi-part-time, they actually are re earning really bad wages because the, the actual amount of hours they work in weeks. But when you talk about making education free or keeping it at this high cost, do you know that grants don't exist anymore, by the way? So like now, which is I don't agree with. I know I'm, I'm yeah. not saying you do, but now if you're um if you're a person in a, from a kind of like a low income background or you know really working class background, how do you afford to go to uni? And I'm, I take your point. I, I do want the standards to remain high of education, but at the same time, I think it's only fair that everybody has access to that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think to Robbie's point of the value of the education going down. We aren't sponsored yet, so you can. Yeah, I was listening to James O'Brien, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, and classic, classic Jason Forbes. Yeah, there was a <laughs> daytime work activity to all people that employ Jason. He actually just listens to Job all day. Yeah, Basically, people were saying that. Uh, so Scott, Scotland have free university, and they were saying that they seek quite often um, non-Scottish, because it's only say Scottish, but it's not yes. the UK, it's only yeah. Scottish. And that's, I imagine, what the, the, uh, the reforms do. Um, but they, they seek non-Scottish people to come in because they pay, and they, that's how they get the money. Um, because they're so underfunded, and the, the level is so low. I mean, I don't know this for sure, so I've never been there, but this is what this person was saying. I wonder if that is like a, like a, definitely like a repercussion. And I think me and Nate were talking about this when we were away. From, because obviously, like you said before, Labour are going for the hard left. Kind of yeah. Because at the moment, if they just sit in, if you, if you think of like the analogy of the seesaw, I've talked about that, we're currently heavy on the right. And like, if you just go to the middle ground and be like, oh, we'll just bring back to the middle, it's never going right, to yeah, swing yeah. The, the seesaw back to the middle. Yeah. So you have to go back on the other side to kind of get it back. You have to go to the other extreme kind of thing to balance the seesaw out. Well, the, I, just, I wasn't there's, 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 that's that a loose, it's a loose analogy. It's yeah, just one yeah. that kind of thing yeah. helps understand you were saying about that and I wonder if in terms of winning the vote and getting the vote rather than saying we're going to scrap tuition fees for, for the next five years or the next generation or whatever it is here we go do would would they be a better place to say we're going to get we're going to scrap all of the current debt that exists within the millennials essentially which is what to do so to anyone, do anyone that's been to university everyone anyone like people like us for aren't example aren't Lib Dems saying Lib Dems have said that. So Lib Dems have said they'll scrap. I'll check any existing yeah. debt. Yeah. I wonder if, firstly, 
what's the cost comparison between sending, you know, potentially indefinite number of people to, to university against wiping out the current debt? The debt will be at probably pretty much a fixed number. They'll, they'll know the debt number. But right? then, doesn't everybody else still have to pay after that? We just get a good deal out of it. Okay, I'm not a politician. I'm not a right? But I was wondering, if, would, my question is, would that get more votes than scrapping tuition fees? Uh, because the people who are going to benefit from that, there's only, there's only what? Yeah, but then I'd say, there's not many people. It's a smart point. Yeah, but then when we're saying, how do you get votes? We're not saying what's better for the country. By the way, the living... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But Robbie, Robbie's question was, is it more important to get into power than it is to go for the idealistic kind of route? But then yeah. when they get in power, what do they do? They still have to do that. And then again, you're not doing what's right, you're just doing what got you in power. You, you become the, well, the is, politician. Is, 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 you know, no, I, I know it's a wrong question. I'm just saying like, we, we then just, as a nation, we'd be just why a nation it, of politics. Which why is it not right for people that can afford to go to higher education and afford to pay for the best pay? Why is, why is that? Why shouldn't the people that can afford to pay it? I, I think if you're, if you're poor or you live below an income level, that means higher education is literally... Question. Out of the question, purely because you can't afford it. I think we should help those people to do so. Yeah. But why shouldn't those that can afford it pay? I actually agree with that, but that, that's not the option on the table, is it? The option yeah. on the table is nine grand fees, no grants by the Conservatives. Hmm. Lib Dems, I think Lib Dems offering free as well, aren't they, as well to scrap. Um, I'm looking at their manifesto there. now. But... It, maybe it's Greens then who said they'll scrap it. I'm not entirely, it it's one of the two. And then Labour are basically saying that we'll do free tuition forever. So they have a choices on the table. It's either free tuition for everyone, ep tuition, is that right? Free university for everybody. Yeah. Or it's nine grand fees for everybody with no grants. And I'm sorry, I actually I agree with your point, Robbie, about if you can afford to, you should pay, but how do you draw the line? But that, that's not the option. And for me, there's only one choice out of those that two That used options. to be the option, didn't it? That used to be the option. Yeah, yeah. When, so when, we, when we went to university, it was yeah. three grand per year, and you can apply for grants, and you can apply for maintenance. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was relatively fair. Yeah, I think that was relatively fair. And I think that's so that, had maybe, that had gone up quite significantly, yeah. if you compare that to three or four year, years previous. That's in, like inflation. Interest yeah, 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 yeah. cost of yeah, yeah. life. But the thing yeah. is that the, the Lib Dems promised when they were in the coalition, and this is obviously their biggest thing, this is why they sit at the bottom of the table basically now, formed by UKIP. They've obviously promised to, to keep the fees back prior, that yeah. level, or maybe lower, yeah. and they Interesting, I've just gone on the UKIP education manifesto and the top <laughs> point is end sex education in all primary schools. Jesus. So that, that's what they're thinking about. Anyway, carry Get on. Get hold of yourselves, <laughs> UKIP. Get hold of yourselves. Yeah. But, but they had, UKIP have said abolish tuition fees as soon as economic conditions allow. Which is interesting. That's what, it's a bit wishy So we went, we went quite quickly from talking about efficiency in terms of how parties win votes to, yeah, no, that's to education. I just was wondering if we should put it back to that. Well, yeah, I we, I think talk about, we talked about Corbyn, but can we talk about May? We can absolutely talk about May. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we, you could... Well, one, we could sorry. Yeah. I think just one last point on the idea of you saying you want to take away from education, it's fair enough, and the point of um, talking about winning the vote, winning the seat, and then that's more important than necessarily, like, having these super idealistic things. I think the Andrew Neil interview last night was a, with Corbyn. With Corbyn, with Jeremy Corbyn, is a good example, uh, or there was a good example when he was when he was questioning on NATO and he said several times, Do you are you against NATO? Do you think it's a bad idea? Do you he quoted him and he quoted about how silly he thought it was. And Corbyn would normally, if he wasn't running for Prime Minister, would normally go, Yeah, I hate it. Silly, I want peace, which is which is what he keeps going for. 
Um, but he, was, he basically said, the party have agreed um, on this in the manifesto. It's written in the manifesto. That's what we're going for. I am the representative of this party. That's what we're going for. He refused to bring in his part. Like, he could have you know, prodded and prodded and prodded. And he could have burst out and be like, yeah, I hate it. But he, he stuck with his party. And I think that was a nice example of him firstly showing a little bit of the unity of this party. And the party kind of, you know, they weren't there, but it kind of it feels like they were back in in that sense. But him going for the political answer. Maybe it's one thing he's never really done so well, and now maybe it's. I actually sort of to that point. I actually kind of I dislike that in a way because when Tim Farron was being quizzed on Channel Four about his views on um, LGBT rights or gay sex, uh, yeah, and he said um, my vote in history shows I've always supported it, or my view aligns my party. But she was like, "No, as a Christian, apparently he's quite a religious guy." Do you think gay sex is a sin, or do you think being gay is a sin? Yeah, and he, ref- yeah, he refused to answer it because, and you know, the only way you refuse to answer that is if your view is yes, I do. And he, basically, his view was that, but his voting record was different. So he was trying to put the politics of it before his personal view. But for me, you can't distinguish necessarily between the two when you're the leader of a party. And I think I would have liked Corbyn to have come out and been. I think he had to answer it politically, but I'm not a big fan of just that the political answers because I think it's a veiled, it's a veiled approach. You know how the media work. It's, I guess oh it's no, yeah. they've got to be to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think you can be you can take the political approach um, because you need to build the trust of the people who are potentially going to vote for you. If he turns around and says, um, "Well, this is this is my voting record, but here's my personal opinion," are people going to be like, well, "That's his personal opinion"? They're going to latch onto that and they're going to say. What he changes his mind because that's his personal opinion, that's what he believes in. So if Corbyn comes out, for example, and says, "Yeah, okay, well, we're backing it. I'm not a fan of it, but we're backing it," that's not going to uh, instill confidence with his voters because they might turn around. People, especially people who are pro NATO, they're going to sort of think to themselves in the back of their mind. Well, Corbyn basically has, well, they think he has overall say. He doesn't obviously. He's in, he's in, no, he's in a democracy. That's the yeah. point. He, they might be like, "Well, if he suddenly runs this agenda of getting rid of NATO." Then we have no nuclear weapons, and then suddenly we're going to get killed because we don't have any nuclear weapons. And like, I think to take that approach, like basically you have to you have to instill confidence with your voters, and I think that's the political way of doing it as well. I think just before you pivot, I think Corbyn's opinion on that on NATO and on defence is something that could get him unstuck in the end. Yeah, he, he personally, I, I don't think he's on the right track. Um, uh, so if we pivot to to, to May to May and the Conservatives, you know who will be the natural leaders of government in uh, less than less than a few weeks. Um, the Conservative Party is traditionally pro business, and one thing they've said is to cut corporation tax to seventeen percent by two thousand and twenty. Now we've had discussions about this before about should corporation tax be blanket or not? What's fair? What is actually good for the economy? Um, I happen to believe that that raising corporation tax, whilst I understand that it will bring in more tax, I actually think that it's naive to believe that companies won't either game the system or take their business elsewhere. So will points like that resonate with the electorate? And what do we think about corporation tax, about pro-business, about the economy, and are the Conservatives on the right track, as opposed to Labour or the left in general? Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not too clued up on. I know that. I'm, yeah, corporation tax is my like 
worst area of knowledge. I would like some information okay. on that. Okay, well, can I? Yeah, Jason's been doing some research. Yeah, I've been doing a bit of research. It, it's something that kind of, I'm still not included on in the whole thing. Basically, uh, what was it? Well, the percentage 26% falling wants to bring it to by yeah. 2020. Yeah, finally drop it to 17. 17 uh, by the same year. So the, the, the rate that they're talking about is actually the SME rate, which is the small to medium enterprise yes. rate. Uh, and it's actually for businesses operating with profits under £300,000. That's yeah. profits, that's not revenue, that's yeah. profit. Um, currently in the UK, the SME rate is 19%. It actually dropped in, two, in April this year. I didn't actually know, but yeah, I don't know if I was right. It's dropped 1% to 20 um, The large corporation rate, so £300,000 in profits and above, has remained at 30% for a long time, at least since 2004. So I'm really confused as like a spectator of the news and readers of newspapers and well, well more listener of radio. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much <laughs> emphasis, right? particularly from Corbyn, on we're going to raise corporation tax, blah, 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 so that we can tackle these huge corporations. Amazon, sorry, companies like Amazon, com companies like Starbucks, these companies that are under scrutiny for... Yeah. Huge amounts of profits that aren't being declared. Yeah, blah, blah, huge um, tax evasion across the yeah. board. Yeah. Um, I would imagine they're making profits yearly at the least 300,000. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so instantly, <laughs> instantly, they're in that 30% bracket. And that, that has not been talked about. I don't know if it's been talked about the manifesto properly or not. I don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely not in the headlines. The, the headline is 26% um, corporation tax for SMEs. Um, and I think I've even, I've even heard the 27% floated as well. So when you, when, you, when you talk about the high 20s or mid to high 20s for a small to medium enterprise, i.e. your local corner shop, your pub, um, you know, a, a, a clothing store, places that will, will, like coffee shops, places will frequent recent, like frequently. Um, frequent, when, frequently. Frequently. <laughs> frequent, frequent. Frequent, frequently. <laughs> when you talk about those kind of places, then having to pay similar rates to those of the bigger Facebook for Amazon, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, how, how, yeah. Is that, how is that making it fairer for the people well, who are these businesses? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, but that, that's the thing, this is where I'm maybe, maybe where I'm lacking education on the, on the whole thing. Like, all I'm doing is going to the graph.info website, that's all I can do right now, yeah. is, is look at those levels. And I think there's a small company, let's take a coffee shop. Yeah. The, if they, if Labour comes to power, and they want to raise the minimum wage to £10 an hour, which I think is nearly at that anyway within the London living wage. So if you're not paying that, but the minimum wage would be £10 an hour um, nationwide. So that's a, that's, a, that's a cost increase for the business owner. So then if they were making minimal profits anyway, let's say anywhere between zero profits, breaking even to, let's say, 10 grand profits, um, which I think would be quite a lot. You would make 10 grand profit as a coffee shop per year profit, right. paying yourself, paying yourself. Yeah, yeah. Covering all your costs, ten grand profit, I think, is probably quite a lot of money. Like it's a modest amount in the scheme of things, but I think it's a lot. Um, if you've done this, suddenly said, right, well, we're going to take of that ten grand. Firstly, you're not going to get the ten grand because your costs are going to be higher because of um, your staffing costs is going to be higher. Right. So your profit then comes down to nine grand. Yeah. Then we're going to actually take from that nine grand, we're going to take six more percent off you. That's a small business owner. Meanwhile, Amazon CEO chief. Chief of 
muddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there just giggling to himself, going, oh, so muddy, I'm still making the exact same amount of money. Yeah, and I'm not being, like, maybe maybe I've been clamped down on tax evasion, but that's cost the state X amount potentially as well. So I'm, I'm really confused in it, because I'm pro kill the corporations, bring it back locally, all that kind of stuff. But again, looking at it in an ideal kind of way, um, does, does it does it actually work? I mean, well, big, no, I mean, big business is still good. I mean, yeah. I mean like I want big businesses okay. to still get. As long as they're paying their tax. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, Facebook, Amazon. Pay I tax. think that's where yeah. the Labour manifesto falls down. I feel like there was a line in it that basically said other savings like six billion, and then like a grazing corporation tax. Actually, what billion. Labour? Where? where sorry, where is it? Falling? Sorry, it's in like how they cost it out. Yeah. They basically said we're going to raise corporation tax to twenty six percent, which will raise X. I think naively not taking into account that that just won't happen yeah. because businesses will the big businesses will set up elsewhere. If you raise six percent on corporation tax on profits that are substantial, that's a lot of money that businesses won't be keeping. So they will find ways to either gain the system through uh, dividends or other yeah. other um, tricks, or they will literally move their business elsewhere. So I think that's where. For example, Tories, which are always like the natural kind of pro-business party, I do think that they occasionally have that right in in a way that they understand that to incentivise businesses to stay here, to create jobs, you have to make it a pro-business environment, which I think Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party have left behind, which yeah. I don't think is a realistic prop, uh, well, proposition. Well, they propose that people earning above £123,000 yeah. So you see, that's the, for me, it's two, two separate topics, can, uh, corporation tax and personal tax. I personally strongly agree with that. And I think, if anything, it should be down to 100,000. Yeah. Any, anyone over 100,000 should be paying. But Rob, I imagine Robbie's point is, is more broadly about ambition and how that can, diminish, how yeah. that can potentially diminish yeah, people's, yeah, yeah. Um, people's kind of drive to set up businesses, to, to set up businesses yeah. and, yeah. and not just make bags of cash, but to sort of like, you know, shoot for the stars in terms of, Setting something up and, and becoming successful. So, so well, how do you have a? Well, I was going to say again, going down my sort of ideal fantasy world. Yeah. They just mix Hang on, mate. Oh, don't, don't reveal too much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> after we get rid of all our artificial fees that we pay, are you? After, yeah, you, after are you that, going to perform new houses? Well, well I was thinking, I think if, you, if you if you carry on, if you continue to drop that SME corporation tax to seventeen percent, but then include um, people earning. To, to pay more tax and kind of tweak the figures in the opposite way. I think you could encourage more people to be like, well, you know, I get to £100,000 uh, as an earner, as an employee of a company, and then I suddenly start getting destroyed on tax. Um, I wonder if, you know, is that going to help? Is it going to, over as a, as a more overall kind of, kind of thing, like push entrepreneurialism more than it is people like, mm. you know, seeking jumping up, if you like, onto this like safety area of high wages and secure sort of employment, yeah. which is so far away from what, this is where we sort of start to see the gap in, in the middle, I think, where people like, who can't get those jobs and suddenly just being left behind because those people earn so much money and they're not given back into the system kind of thing. But yeah. if people are like, I don't know, I just, I just feel like this is where we lack the center ground, right? People no, it's true. more logical solutions rather than just like the extremes. So I think we could talk about all of the issues for, for hours and hours mm -hmm. and hours, but unfortunately our time's coming to an end. So I think what 
I was going to do next is say that the election's obviously on June the 8th. We're all going to vote. Um, I'm going to ask for some predictions. I'm going to ask for some thoughts on what you think is going to happen. I think it's safe to say that the smaller parties, UKIP, Greens and the Lib Dems aren't in for a, a great election. So where do you think it's going to end up on June the 9th in terms of who's, who's in power, why and, and what you hope for the next few years? I think uh, Tories are going to win. I think Theresa May in Scooby-Doo style will take off a mask and reveal M Rupert Murdoch to be that, yeah, inside would... Theresa May and then well, then I feel like Murdoch inside Theresa May yeah, uh, no, I'll, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, no I think on a serious note uh, I would have yeah I think we could touch on May at that time but um, for me my heart says one thing my head says a different thing I would love to see Labour do it I really would and I think that there is enough momentum for that to be an actual challenge this time but I think Realistically, I think Tories will win it, but not by the majority that everybody expected, yeah. um, which is better you know, than that possibility. I think the future of the UK is in tricky times if uh, May does win, but at the same time, I'm off travelling, so who cares? Jason? Well, obviously, I think that um, the left will unite into a superpower of the left, and Corbyn will dab his way. <laughs> number 10 okay. Okay. <laughs> no I, I, I have to agree with Dan I think May wins uh, yeah Dacre and uh, Murdoch have a build day for the next yeah. five onwards years yeah um, and then we'll maybe see a breaking point in a couple of years time okay. where things get even more if it's yeah, sorted it's if it's not now it's going to happen at some point it's yeah, going it to happen people are just you know, it will all come to life. People will see what is going on. I'm not interested in, in past facts. What is it? The woods are burning. Nah, that's never quite. Yeah, no, yeah. I should have said that. Yeah, I'm not interested in stories about the past or any crap of that kind because the woods are burning, you understand? There's a big blaze going on around. I think people have realised that as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, yeah, that is, that's, that, that quote is not lit. No. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I agree with the, the fellas. I think the, um, I think the Tories are going to do it. Um, maybe not by the majority that the people were thinking to begin with, but um, yeah, I think they've got it wrapped up. It's quite funny doing election predictions. It feels like yeah, obviously these are all going to be wrong. These are all I think it'll be 3-0 to the Tories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is all obviously going to be wrong because Theresa May has. I predicted the last sort of three big things, you know, Trump, Clinton, Brexit, and the 2015 election all completely wrong. So I, I thought you were going to say you did something, and I was like, what? Yeah. No, 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 I didn't, no, I didn't. My prediction, which is going to happen, is that the collapse of UKIP into the Tories is going to secure Theresa May a majority. I don't think it's going to be a hundred plus. It's, it's not going to be a Tony Blair-esque 1997 landslide. But I think she'll secure enough that she has the mandate to do exactly what she wants. I think that Corbyn, because he performs better than initially expected, will retain his position. I think momentum and, and the left of the Labour Party and Corbyn will strengthen their grip and they will remain on the left. I then believe that the Tories will initiate their boundary redrawing, which will take the number of constituencies down to 600 and we will have Conservative government for the next quarter century, I think. Yeah. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Well, you're going travelling, mate. So yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. good. Yeah, by the time I come back, I'll be back in the court.
So, the, uh, yeah, no, we're going to have a jingle. We're going to have a, we're going to have a jingle at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 suggested that podcasts should remain around the 45 minute mark which i think is what we're on right now so um next episode is going to be about politics of the world so we're going to be talking about trump le pen Macron, um sturgeon sturgeon i reckon we can throw her in there because we haven't even politics of the world of scotland i think we can chuck that in so um that was a uh, hung episode one goodbye for now cheers that's it <laughs>